Hey everyone, welcome to Thursday. Oh my gosh, the week's almost over and wow, 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 wow. It's been a heck of a week. Lots has been going on. Anyway, my name is Charlotte. I'm going to be your host for the next hour. I'm also the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team based out of Sacramento, California. We're 45 strong up and down the state, which means if you have a paranormal issue, we can help you. We definitely will help you, actually. So uh, yeah, it might take us a while to get there because California is a huge state. But uh, we will definitely help you. So do me a favor. If you're watching from Facebook tonight and you like what you hear, please hit that like button and that follow button. Um, you can follow. You, you can check it out on my personal uh, Facebook page. Check out the show. Or just hit a like button, right? Or you can check it out at California Haunts Ghostly Event. If you're watching from YouTube, there's that little guy down in the bottom right-hand corner. Click on that and a little subscribe button will pop up. And subscribe if you haven't done so already. Because we've got over 493 videos sitting over there. And uh, I think there's a little bit of everything, okay? I don't like to just cover paranormal topics, so there's a little bit of everything over there. Anyhow, oh yes, see I forgot. You can also follow me over at Instagram at GhostyGal, it's all lowercase. And you can look for us over at TikTok, which is California Haunts, lowercase. And we are on Twitter as well, under Cal Haunts. And I believe we are under Cal Haunts on Twitch. So for everybody that's watching tonight, welcome, welcome, welcome. Tonight's uh, another one of those nights where the guests got sick, so we're going to be reading the book. Unfortunately, well, I mean, fortunately, I like I, I like this book. But just a word of warning, uh, it's, it's written like some of the parts are Old English style. So I do get <laughs> mystified with what I'm reading sometimes. So just an FYI to let you guys know that that's, that that's going on. Okay. So uh, I've got about an hour. It's going to be about an hour, and then I'll be off the air, and you guys can do what you want. But in the meantime, sit down, have your dinner, put on your slippers, enjoy, you know, and just relax. And you don't even have to look at me. All you have to do is sit back and, li and listen to the story, okay? And it's a true story. It's the Salem Witch Trials, and it's written by Rebecca F. Pittman. And it's about Salem Witch Trials and, and, and ghosts beyond that. So we're going to be talking about that as well as we get into this. Okay, well, I'm going to power up my tablet, and we're going to rock. We're going to do this. Squeaky chair, too. i got to oil my chair. I keep hitting the wall. That's why. All right, let me get this thing powered up. When we left off, they had arrested, can you believe it or not, a four- or five-year-old little girl for witchcraft. It's getting way out of control. And they're arresting husbands and wives and all this other stuff. Supposed to be nice Puritan people, right? Guess not, huh? Salem Witch Trials. I'll give you the title of the book right now, too. Give me a second. But I hope you had a great week so far. Tomorrow night, remember, Nancy Matz is going to be with us, and we're going to be talking about haunted objects. In the meantime, let's read a book. takes in a minute. It's an old tablet, so you got to bear with me. I also have allergies, so if I kind of sniffle or snort or something, that's that's why. Okay. Why did this jump? Mm -hmm. Shouldn't have jumped. Okay. So, uh, the, the uh, book is The History and Haunting of Salem. The Witch Trials and Beyond. So, we left off on Abigail Hobbs, and let's just see what's going on with Abigail Hobbs, shall we? Examination of Abigail Hobbs, April 19th, 
1692. Let me get this up so you can, like, I, I can yell at you. It sounds like I'm yelling, right? The examination of Abigail Hobbs of Salem Village, 19 April 1962, by John Hawthorne and Jonathan Corwin Esquires, and assistance, Abigail, and assistance. Abigail Hobbs, you are brought before authority to answer to sundry acts of witchcraft committed by you against and upon the bodies of many, of which several persons now accuse you. What say you? Are you guilty or not? Speak the truth, Abigail. I will speak the truth. I have seen sights and been scared. I have been wicked. I have been very wicked. I hope I shall be better. If God will help me. H. Prosecutor. What sights did you see? Abigail. I have seen dogs and many creatures. H. What dogs do you mean? Ordinary dogs? Abigail. I mean the devil. H. How often? How many times? But once. H. Tell the truth. H. I'm sorry, Abigail. Say it confused. Too many of these. Abigail, I do not lie. H. What appearance was was he in then? Abigail, like a man. H. Where was it? Abigail, it was at the eastward at Casco Bay. H. Where in the house or in the wood? Where in the house or in the woods? Abigail, in the woods. H. In the night or in the day? Abigail, in the day. H. How long ago? Abigail, about three or four years ago. H. What did he say to you? Abigail, he said he would give me fine things if I did what he, if I did what, what he would have me. H. What would he have you do? Abigail, why he would have me be a witch. H. Would he have you make a covenant with him? Abigail, yes. H. And did you make a covenant with him? Abigail, yes I did. But I hope God will forgive me. H. The Lord give you re repentance. You say you saw dogs and many sorts of creatures. Abigail, I saw them at that time. H, but you have not seen them at other times. Abigail, yes. H, where? Abigail, at our house. H, what were they like? Abigail, like a cat. H, what would the cat have you do? Abigail, she had a book and would have me put my hand to it. H, and did you? H, um, Abigail, no, I did not. H, well, tell the truth. Did you at any other time? Abigail, yes, I did, that time at the eastward. H, what other creatures did you see? Abigail, I saw things like men. H, what did you say, what did they say to you? Abigail, why, they said I had better put my hand to the book. H, you did put your hand to the book, you say. Abigail, yes, one time. H, what would they have you put your hand to their book to? Abigail, what would, hang on. What would they have you put your hand to their book to? A, Abigail, yes. H, and what would they have you do then? Would they have you worship them? Abigail, they would have me make a bargain for so long and do what they would have me do. H, for how long? Abigail, not for above two or three years. H. How long do they agree with you for? Abigail. But for two years. H. And what would they do then for you? Abigail. They would give me fine clothes. H. And did they? Abigail. No. H. When you set your hand the last time, the last time to the book, how long was that for? Abigail. It was for four years. H. How long is that ago? H. Abigail. 
It is almost four years. The book was brought to me to get my hand to it for four years, but I never put my hand but once out of eastward. H. Are you not a bid to hurt folks? Abigail. Yes. H. Who are you bid to hurt? Abigail. Mercy Lewis and Ann Putman. H. What did you do to them when you hurt them? Abigail. I pinched them. H. How did you pinch them? Do you go on your own person to them? Abigail. No. Doth the devil go for you? Yes. H. And what doth he take your spirit with him? Abigail. No, I am not, as well as uh, uh, at other times. But the devil has my consent and goes and hurts them. H. Who hurt your mother last Lord's Day? Was it not you? Abigail. No. H. Who was it? Abigail. I heard her say it was Goody Wilds at Topsfield. H. Have you been in company with Goody Wilds at any time? Abigail. No, I never saw her. H. Well, who are your companions? Abigail. Why, I have seen Sarah Good once. H. How many did you see? Abigail. I saw but two. H. Did you know Sarah Good was, was a witch when you saw her? Abigail. Yes. H. How did you know it? Abigail. The devil told me. H. Who was the other you saw? Abigail. I do not remember her name. H. Did you go and do hurt with Sarah Good? Abigail. No. She would have me set my hand on the book also. H. What mark did you make in the devil's book when you set your hand to it? Abigail. I made a mark. H. What mark? Have you not been to other great meetings? H. I mean, eh, I think it's confusing. Abigail. No. H. Did you not hear the great hurt done in the village? Abigail. Yes. H. And were you never with them? Abigail. No, I was never with them. H. But you know your shape appeared to hurt people here. Abigail, yes. H, how did you know? Abigail, the devil told me. If I, if I gave consent, he would do it in my shape. H, how long ago? Abigail, about a fortnight ago. H, what shape did the devil appear in then? Abigail, like a black man with a hat. H, do not some creatures suck your body? Abigail, no. H, where do they come to? Where, oh, where do they come? To what parts when they come to your body? Abigail, they do not come to my body. They come only in sight. H, do they speak to you? Abigail, yes. H, how do they speak to you? Abigail, as other folks. H, what do they speak to you as other folks? Abigail, yes, almost. Then other questions were propounded to her, but she was taken D-E-A-F and Mary Walcott Mercy Lewis, Betty Hubbard, Abigail Williams, and Ann Putnam, Ann Putman, Jr. said they saw Sarah Good and Sarah Osborne run their fingers into the examinant's ears. By and by, by and by, she, this examinant, was blind with her eye quite open. Asterisk. A little after, she, she spoke and said, Sarah Good saith, I shall not speak. And so the court ordered her, being seized with dumbness, to be taken away. Another asterisk. Note, the afflicted, i.e. the bewitched persons, were none of them tormented during the whole examination of this, of this accused and confessing person. Abigail Hobbs. Note, after this examination, Mercy Lewis, Abigail, Abigail Williams, and Ann Putman, three of the sufferers, said openly in court they were sorry for the condition this poor Ab, Abigail Hobbs was in, which compassion, 
they expressed over and over again. As with Tituba, who had been the first to confess her alliance with the devil and beg forgiveness, Abigail Hobbs' confession mollified the afflicted girls. Here they could afford to show mercy and benevolence toward this poor creature. It was only those whose testimony refuted their claims that brought on their wrath and condemnation. condemnation. And it was with their own that they now turned their attention. Mary Warren was next before the bar. Chapter 17 More and More Witches If the crowd that had traveled to Salem Town to hear the inquest for the Proctors and Sarah Cloyce felt the journey was somewhat anticlimactic, they were getting their money's worth on April 19th. Old Giles Corey had been accused and held over for trial, and Abigail Hobbs had actually confessed to witchcraft. Now Mary Warren, who had been among the afflicted girls' circle prior to recanting her participation, and Bridget Bishop of Salem Town, would stand before the magistrates, four in one day. The crowd of onlookers could barely be contained within the wooden structure of the meeting house walls. Mary Warren's inquest. inquest. If Abigail Hobbs' entrance had been surprisingly peaceful, Mary Warren's frightened advancement to the bar that afternoon was just the opposite. The group of afflicted girls realized what was at stake with this girl's testimony. Mary was 20 years old. Her testimony would carry more weight than 14-year-old Abigail Hobbs. If the magistrates found reason to believe the afflicted girls had been merely play-acting for sport, they would surely face dire consequences. This would need to be the show of a lifetime, and the girls began their torments without preamble. Examination of Mary Warren. April 19, 1692. The examination of Mary Warren at a court in Salem Village. John Hawthorne, Esquires. Jonathan Corwin, Esquire. As soon as she was coming towards the bar, the afflicted fell into fits. Hawthorne. Mary Warren, you stand here charged with sundry acts of witchcraft. What do you say for yourself? Are you guilty or not? Warren, I'm innocent. Hawthorne, has she hurt you, speaking to the sufferers? Somewhere dumb, Betty Hubbard testified against her. And then said Hubbard fell into a violent fit. Hawthorne, you were, you were a little while ago an afflicted person. Now you are an afflictor. How, can, how comes this to pass? Warren, I look up to God and take it to be great mercy of God. Hawthorne, what do you take? Okay, what, what do you take it to be a great mercy to afflict others? Betty Hubbard testified. An asterisk. Betty Hubbard testified that a little after this, Mary as well. She, the she, the said Mary said the afflicted persons, but but did but dissemble. Now they were all but John Indian grievously afflicted, and Mrs. Pope also, who was not afflicted before here hitherto this day, and after a few moments, John Indian fell into a violent fit also. Hawthorne. Well, here was one just now that was a tormentor in her apparition, and she owns that she had made a league with the devil. Now, Mary, okay, and now here's another asterisk. Now, Mary Warren fell into a fit, and some of the afflicted cried out that she was going to confess, but Goody Corey and Proctor and his wife came in, in their apparition, and struck her down, and said she should tell nothing. Asterisk. Mary Warren continued a good space in a fit that she did that she did neither see nor hear nor speak. Afterward, she started up and said, "I will speak." And cried out, 
oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry for it. And wringed her hands and fell a little and fell a little while into a fit again. Then came to speak. But immediately her teeth were set. And then she fell into a violent fit and cried out, Oh, Lord, help me. Oh, good Lord, save me. And then afterwards cried again. I will tell, I will tell. And then fell into a dead fit again. And afterwards cried, I will tell. They did, they did, they did. And then fell into a violent fit again. After a little recovery, she cried, I will tell, I will tell. They brought me, they brought me to it. And then fell into a fit again. Which, which fits continuing, she was ordered to be had out. And the next to be brought in, Bridget Bishop. Sometime afterwards, she, Mary Warren, was called in again, but immediately taken with fits for a while. Hawthorne. Have you signed the devil's book? Warren, no. Hawthorne. Have you not touched it? Warren, no. Then she fell into fits again and was sent forth for error. After a considerable space of time, she, she was brought in again, but could not give account of things. By reason of fits, but by reason of fits, and so sent forth. Mary Warren called in afterwards in private, before magistrates and ministers. She said, I shall not speak a word, but I will, I will speak Satan. She says she will kill me. Oh, she, she says she owes me a spite and will claw me off. Avoid Satan for the name of God, avoid. And then fell into fits again and cried, will ye? Hawthorne, I will prevent ye in the name of God. Tell us, how far have, have you yielded? Asterisk, a fit interrupts her again. Hawthorne, what did they say you should do? And you should be well? Asterisk, then her lips were bit so that she could not speak. So she was sent away. Asterisk, note, that not one of the sufferers was afflicted during her examination after once she began to confess. Sorry, though they were tormented before. Salem Village, April 19th, 1692. Mr. Samuel Paris, being desired to take in the writing of the examination of Mary Warren, hath delivered it as aforesaid. And upon hearing the same and seeing what, what we did, then see together with the charge of the afflicted persons then present. We committed, said Mary Warren, John, John Hawthorne, assistance John Corwin, assistance, assistance, see, am I right? Okay, assistance. In between Mary Warren's breakdowns, Bridget Bishop was led into the meeting house to face accusations of witchcraft, something of which she had been accused of in 1679. Of all the accused victims that stood before the magistrates, Bridget Bishop represented by far the most unchristian-like opponent. Her story read like a toddy novel, filled with whippings, domestic violence, her specters, her, her specters, I'm not having trouble. Her specters, lascivious nocturnal attacks on her male neighbors, and even jail time. Bridget was thrice married. Was a thrice married fifty-year-old woman by the time of her inquisition in 1692. She had married Samuel Wasselby in England while in her twenties. After arriving in New England. She married Thomas Oliver from Boston. They later moved to Salem and turned the Harvard town into an arena for their constant battles. Bridget's bruises were often apparent to the townsfolk. The couple had one child, a daughter, Christian. The fights, name-calling, and public displays of abuse became so bad that the couple were fined and publicly whipped. Unrepentant, the abuse continued, 
and they found themselves before the court and jailed. Thomas's daughter Mary, from a former marriage, paid Thomas's fine, but left Bridget to the mercy of the court. None was given. She was forced to stand in the town common, wearing a sign upon her forehead that broadcast to all her failings. It was a public humiliation she would not forget. Bridget's ill temper and moral shortcomings brought her many enemies. She was accused of stealing more than once. Her specter had been seen by those who fell out of favor with her or reported her. In 1682, a local woman, Goody Watford, accused her of stealing a spoon. When Bridget verbally attacked her, Watford said Bridget Spectre had tried to drown her in Salem Harbor. Bridget's husband, Thomas, died in 1687. The circumstances of his death were suspicious and tongues wagged. Undaunted, she married Edward Bishop in 1687. Shortly after, she was accused, again, of stealing, this time from Thomas Stacy's mill, where a brass bearing went missing. Bridget was found with the bearing and claimed she found it in her garden. Unfortunately, her daughter, Christian, unaware of the garden alibi, lied and said the bearing had belonged to her departed father. Bridget was hauled away to jail, where she spent three months. During that time, Thomas Stacy's son reported that an angry Bridget Bishop had sent her. Thomas Stacy's son, yeah, Thomas Stacy's son reported that an angry Bridget Bishop had sent her. Oh, I see, had sent her specter to throw him about their yard. Once released from jail, Bridget and her husband Edward moved from Salem Town to Salem Village. Bridget now, with an unrelenting eye to making money, kept her home in Salem Town and turned it into a tavern. She had a sizable apple orchard on the property and found she could make a pretty penny selling apple cider. No doubt the fermented kind. Unlike John Proctor and other tavern owners, Bridget did not bother with obtaining a license. The tavern soon brought complaints from Salem's neighbors who reported drinking and playing at shuffleboard and that they feared the area youth were in danger to be corrupted. It was through her tavern ownership and dealings with the drunken clientele that some of the looter reports of spectral visitations came from. Bridget Spectre was accused of visiting men in their bedchambers at night and taking advantage. Richard Coleman, his wife laying by his side, reported Bridget came to him in the night and sprawled across his chest. William Stacy announced she had visited him as well, along with Samuel Gray, claimed they awoke to find her ghost inserting something into their mouths. Worse yet, John Louder said Bishop came to him in the moonlight and sat astride his chest while trying to strangle him. She was accused of causing the death of children and livestock, along with reports of theft and even hiding poppets in the wall of her home. Poppets were crude dolls said to be used by witches to curse the victims. With Bridget's reputation and her prior arrests for witchcraft in 1679, no one doubted the claims made against her. Nothing came of the earlier witchcraft accusation. This one would have a different ending. Examination of Bridget Bishop, as recorded by Ezekiel Cheever. April 19th, 1692. Let me adjust here. It's the glasses. I'm not used to them. The examination of Bridget Bishop before the worshipful, yeah, the before the worshipful John Hawthorne and Jonathan Curran Esquires. Bridget Bishop being new now cometh to be examined relating to her accusation of suspicion of sundry acts of witchcrafts. The afflicted persons are now dreadfully afflicted by her as they do say. Hawthorne, Bishop, what do you say you hear stand charged with sundry acts of witchcraft? By you done or committed upon the bodies of Mercy Lewis of Mercy Lewis and Ann Put and Ann Putnam. 
and others. Bridget, I am innocent. I know nothing of it. I have done no witchcraft. Hawthorne, look upon this woman and see if this be the woman that you have seen hurting you. Asterisk, Mercy Lewis and Anne Putnam and others. Dodo now, do do now change her face with hurting them. I'm sorry. <laughs> see what I mean? Mercy Lewis and Anne Put Putnam and others. Dudu now charge her to face with hurting Char charge her to her face with hurting them. Got it. Okay. Hawthorne. Mr. Hawthorne. What do you say now? You see they charge you to your face. Bridget. I never did hurt them in my life. I never I never see these persons before. I'm I am as innocent as a child unborn. Hawthorne. Is not your coat cut? Asterisk. Answers no. But her garment being looked upon, they find it cut or torn two ways. Jonathan Walcott said that the sword that he struck at Good Bishop with was not naked, but was within the scabbard, so that the rent may very probably be the very same that Mary Walcott did tell that she had in her coat by Jonathan striking at her appearance. Asterisk, the afflicted persons charge her with having hurt them many ways, and by tempting them to to sign the devil's book at which she seemed to be very angry and shaking her head at them saying it was false they are all greatly tormented by the shaking of her as i can see by the shaking of her head hawthorne goody good bishop what contract have you made with the devil bridget i have made no contract with the devil i never saw him in my life i'm sorry did i get the wrong name bishop i'm sorry bishop i see you saying bridget Bishop, I have no contract with the devil. I've never seen him in my life. Anne Putnam saith that she calls the devil her god. Sorry about that. Sorry about that, Rebecca Putnam. Or Rebecca Pittman. God, I'm losing my mind. The last name is Bishop. Her name is not Bridget. I've lost my mind. Okay. Hawthorne, what say you to all this that you are charged with? Can you not find in your heart to tell the truth? For, uh, Bishop. I do tell the truth. I never hurt these persons in my life. I never saw them before. Mary Lewis. Oh, good bishop. Did you not come to our house last night? And did you not tell me that your master made you tell more than you were willing to tell? Arthur, tell us the truth in this matter. How comes these persons to be with this tormented and to charge you to be thus tormented and to charge you with doing? Bishop, I am not come here to say I am a witch to take away from my life. Arthorn, who is it that doth it? If you if if you do not, they say it is your likeness that comes and torments them, and tempts them to write in the book. What book is that you tempt them with, Bishop? I know nothing of it. I'm innocent. Arthorn, do you not see how they are tormented? You are acting witchcraft before us. What do you say to this? Why have you not, and heart to confess the truth, Bishop? I'm innocent. I know nothing of it. I am no witch. I know not what a witch is. Hawthorne, have you not given consent that some even evil evil spirit should do this in your likeness? Bishop, no, I am innocent of being a witch. I know. No man or woman child here. Asterisk. How, how came you into my bedchamber one morning then and asked me whether I had any curtains to sell? 
Asterisk. She is by some of the afflicted persons charged with murder. Hawthorne. What do you say to these murders you are charged with? Bishop. I am innocent. I know nothing about any of it. Asterisk. Now she lifts up her eyes and they are greatly tormented. Again. Hawthorne. Hawthorne. What do you say to these things here? Horrible acts of, witch of witchcraft. Bishop. I know nothing of it. I do not know whether whether it be any witches or not. Hawthorne. No, have you not heard that some have confessed? Bishop. No, I do not. Two men to uh, asterisk. Two men told her to face two men told her to face that they had told told her here. Hawthorne. What do you say to these things here? Horrible acts of witchcraft. Bishop. I know nothing of it. I do not know when, whether it be any witches or not. Arthorn. No, have you not heard that some have confessed? Bishop. No, I did not. Asterisk. Two men told her to her face that they had told her. Oh, wait a minute. Did I slip on me? I'm sorry. God. Okay, there's a page moved. All right, so we're, we're, we're going back. I'm sorry. Okay, so we're back to what I said before. Oh, hang on. Okay, there we go. So, you know, she knows nothing of it. I do not know whether... God, it's just not a good good, good night for me to read. So we're back to that page. She says, no, I do not. Two men told her to her face. They had not told her. She... It skipped back on me. She is taken to a, in a plain lie. Now she is going away. They are dreadfully afflicted. Five afflicted persons do charge this woman to be the very woman that hurts them. This is a true account of what I have taken down at her examination, according to best understanding an observation I have. Also in her examination, take notice that all her actions be great influence upon the afflicted persons and that have been to have been tortured by her, Ezekiel Cheever. Sorry about that, guys. Sometimes this thing will skip backwards. I apologize. Ezekiel Cheever's or see she even writes about it. <laughs> that was crazy. Ezekiel Cheever's organ organized notes compared to Paris's jumbled run-on sentences make it easier to discern the proceeding of that inquest. Cheever's father was a schoolmaster, and his eloquence is no doubt a result of much instruction. The questioning as to Bridget's... It is Bridget. I was right. Okay. The questioning as to Bridget's coat being torn was the result of Mary Walcott insisting her brother Jonathan had struck at Bishop Specter with a sword, tearing her clothes. Reverend Paris noted, upon some search in the court, a rent that seems to be an answer that was what was alleged to be was found. Okay. Bridget was led away from the room. The wails of the afflicted ringing in her ears. It was she that hurt me, they cried. Samuel Gould later asked her, did it bother her to see how the afflicted were suffering? Her indifferent answer of no flew in the face of all the Puritan members who felt for the tortures of the brave girls who were trying to rid their village of evil. Bridget Bishop's and Abigail Hobbs' inquest also marked the beginning of catastrophic events. They were the first who fell outside the village proper. Bishop's Tavern and original home was in Salem Town, and Hobbs was from Topsfield. The net was being thrown wider. Had it escaped the magistrates' notice, or had they felt the, the, the niggling fear of what was to come? The four, Hobbs, Corey, Bishop, and Warren, were taken to the Salem jail. The former witches had been carted off to Boston, where little Dorcas was finally reunited with her mother, Sarah Good. The proctors had been separated as men and women had different jail rooms. Large and without privacy, these communal areas were nothing better than cattle pens. 
Mary Warren is questioned in jail. For the next two days, the magistrates took the opportunity to question Mary Warren while she was housed in the Salem jail. This was their chance to ferret out from a former afflicted person just what was going on. Bridget Bishop, jailed along with Warren, may have questioned her extensively, extensively as well. This was her chance to try and catch the girls out in their lives. Mary undoubtedly would have preferred to be back in the protection of the Proctor home. Back before all this started, even if it meant dealing with John Proctor's wrath. Here we go again. Examination of Mary Warren in prison. I'll try and do better this time. <laughs> April 20th, 1692. Good grief. Okay. Mary Warren's examination in Salem Prison. She testifies that her master Proctor was always very averse to the putting up of to the putting up bills for public prayer. Question. Did you know it was the devil's book when you signed? A. No, but I thought it was no good book. Q. Which is question. After you had a mark in the book, what did you think of then? Abigail. Was it Abigail? Abigail. I'm going to go with A. I'm not going to screw these up again. Then I thought it was the devil's book. Q. How did you come to know your master and mistress were witches? A. The Sabbath, even after I had put up my note for thanks in public, my mistress appeared to me and pulled me out of the bed and told me that she was a witch and had put her hand to the book. She told me this in her bodily person and that this examinant might have known she was a witch if she had but minded what book she read in. Q. What did she say to you before you tormented the children? A. The night after she told me she was a witch, she in prison told me this examinant that myself and her son John would quickly be brought out for witches. This examinant saith that Giles Corey, an apparition, told her the night before that the magistrates were going up to the farms to bring down more witches to torment her. Moreover, being in a dreadful fit in the prison, she charged it on Giles Corey, who was then in close prison, affirming that he came into the room where she was and afflicting her, charged her not to come into the other room while he was examining, but being sent for, and he commanded to look upon her. He no sooner turned his face to her, but she fell into a dreadful fit again, and upon her recovery charged him, charged him to his face with being the procurer of it. Moreover, the said quarry in prison formally threatened her that he would fit her for it, because he told her she had cost her master to act more for a piece of meadow than he, than he was willing to give. She likewise, in her fit, in the other room, before she had seen Giles Corey in person, charging him with inflicting off her and describing him all, and described him in all, her, all his garments, both of, both of hat and color of them, with a cord about his waist, and a white cap on his head, and in chains, as several of, of them in company can affirm. Essex County Court Archives, Salem Witchcraft, Volume 1, Number 115. Examination of Mary Warren, April 21st, 1692. Mary Warren's examination, April 24th, 1692, being asked by the Honorable Magistrates whether the Bible that then was showed her was the book that was brought to her to touch, and that she saw the flourish in an answer no. She said she was deceived, being asked whether Mercy Lewis, that she had signed 
to a book, told Mercy Lewis that she had signed to a book, answered no. She was asked whether her mistress had brought a book to her to sign. Answered her mistress brought none, but that her master brought one being uh, brought one being asked whether she signed to it. Answered, not unless putting her finger to it was signing. Being asked whether she did not see a, see a spot where she had put her finger. Answered there was not there was a spot. She was asked what color the spot was, and answered black. She was asked whether her master did not threaten her to run the hot tongs down her throat if she did not sign. Answer that her mister, I think it's her mister, that her mister threatened to burn her out of her fit being, of her fit being. Asked whether she had made a mark in the book, answered she made no mark, but with the top of her finger. She was asked what, what she dipped her finger in when it made the mark. Answered in nothing but her mouth. She was asked whether her finger was wet when she touched the book answered she knew not that it was wet or whether it was wet with sweat or with cider that she had been drinking with cider that she had been drinking of she knew not but her finger did make a mark and the mark was black she was asked whether any of, of her mr and missus was with her when she was threatened when she was threatened with the hot tongs answered none but them she said her mister put her hand to the book and her finger made a black spot, which made her tremble. Then she said she was undone. <laughs> then she said she was undone, body and soul, and cried out grievously. She was told that it was her own voluntary act. She would have denied it, but she was told the devil could have done nothing if she had not yielded, and that she, for for ease to her body, not for any good of her soul, had done it. With this she much grieved and cried out. She said her master and mistress threatened to drown her. To mark her run through the hedges, she was asked whether she had not seen her master and mistress since she came to prison. Answered she thought she saw her master and dare say it was he. She was asked what he said to her, answering nothing after a fit she cried out. I will tell, I will tell, that wicked creature it is you stop my mouth. But I will confess the little that I have to confess being asked. Who she would tell off whether good wife Proctor or no. Answered old Betty Proctor. It is. It is she. I live with last. She then cried, cried out. It shall be known. Though rich. Hast thou undone my body and soul. She said also she wishes she had made me make a thorough league. She, she was again asked. What her finger was blackened with when she touched the book answered she knew, she knew not that her finger was black till she saw it black the book after she had put her finger to the book she eat bread and butter and her finger blackened the bread and butter also being asked what her mistress now said to her when she complained of her mistress she said her mistress bid her not to tell that her mistress was a witch coming out of another fit She would tell, she would tell. She said her master now bid her not, not to tell. That he had sometimes gone to make away with himself. For her master had told her that he had been about sometimes to make away with himself because of his wife's quarreling with him. 
being asked how she knew. Goodwife Proctor was a witch. She's coming out of a fit. She would tell. She would tell. And she said her mistress, Proctor, said she might know she was a witch if she hearkened to what she used to read. She said her mistress had many books, and her mistress carried one book with her to, to read when she went to see her sister. Being asked whether she knew her mistress to be a witch before she touched the book and how she knew it, she said her mistress told her. She had set her hand on the devil's book. That same night that I was thrown out of bed, said she, which was the same night after she had a note of thanksgiving put up at the meeting house. She said her mistress came to her. Her body, not her shape, as far as, as, far as she knew, she affirmed. Her mistress was a witch being, asked, you know, asked whether she had seen any of the witches since she came to prison, said she had seen Goodman Corey and Sarah Good. They brought the book to her to sign, but she would not own that she knew her master to be a witch or wizard, being asked whether she did not know. <laughs> being asked whether she did not know her finger would make a mark if she touched the book with it. She answered no. But her master and mistress asked her to breathe, and she said the first word she read was Moses. The next word she could not tell what it was, but her but but her master, I think it's master, not mister, but her master and mistress bid her. If she could not pronounce the word, she should touch the book being asked why she would not tell the whole truth. She said she had formerly not told the truth, because she was threatened to be torn in pieces, if she did. But now she would, and had told the truth, being asked whether she did not suspect it was the devil's book that she touched. That she touched answered she did not suspect it before. She said her finger blackened it. She was asked why. She yielded to do as she did. Answered that her ma that her master said. Yeah, I think it's master, not Mister. Sorry, guys. Um, that her master said if she would not. When she was in her fit, she should run into the fire or water if she would destroy herself. Being asked whether she had not been in his, been instrumental to afflict the afflicted parsons, answered no. But when she heard they were afflicted in her shape, she began to fear it was the devil. That hurt in her shape. Being asked whether she had images to stick pins, she had images to stick pins or thorns into people. She answered no. She was, um, she was asked whether the devil never asked her consent to hurt in her shape. Answered no. She had heard her master and mistress tell of images and of sticking thorn in them. Thorns in them to hurt people with. She was asked whether she knew of any images in the house. Said no, being asked if she knew of any ointment they had in the house. She said of her, of her, of her missus, mistress, you say mistress, well, it's MRS, M apostrophe RS, so I'm, <laughs> this, is, this is where I'm getting confused. She said her mistress ointed her once for some, uh, for, for some aisle she had, A-Y-L-L, -L. but it was with ointment that came from Mrs. Bassett's of Lynn. The, the color of it was greenish. She was asked how it smelled said very ugly to her. She said when she touched the book, 
she went to put her finger to another line, but still her finger went to the same place where her finger had blocked. Mr. Noyes told her she had then touched the book twice and asked her whether she did not suspect it to be the devil's book before she touched it the second time. She said she feared. I want to go with she fear, but, you know, it was no good book. Being asked what she meant by no good book, she said a book to deceive. Abigail Hobbs was also questioned while incarcerated in the Salem jail. Much to Reverend Paris's chagrin, she said she too was in attendance at the devil's sacrament on the Parsonage acreage. She names Judah White from Boston as a witch. Examinations of Abigail Hobbs. <laughs> April 20th, 1692. I'm going to eat a cocktail after this, you guys. Abigail Hobbs examination, 20th April, 1692, in Salem Prison. This examinant declares that Judah White, a Jersey maid that lived with Joseph Ingerson at Casco, but now lives at Boston, with whom this examinant was very well formally acquainted, came to her yesterday in apparition together with Sarah Good, as this examinant was going to examination and advised her to fly and not go to be examined. She told them that she would go. They charged her, if she did go to examination, not to confess anything. She said she would confess all that she knew. They told her also Goody Osborne was a witch. This Judah White came to her in, a fine, in, in fine clothes and a sad-colored silk mantle with a top knot and a, and a hood. She confesses further that the devil in the shape of a man came to her and would have, to, have her to afflict and Putnam, Mercy Lewis, and Abigail Williams, and brought their images with, with him in wood like them, and gave thorns, and bid her prick them into those images, which she did accordingly into each of them, one, and then the devil told her they were afflicted, which accordingly they were, and cried out. They were hurt by Abigail Hobbs. She confesseth. She was at the great meeting in Mr. Paris's pasture, when they administered the sacrament and did eat of the red bread and drink of the red wine at the same time. Meanwhile, in Topsfield, Deliverance Hobbs, mother of Abigail, now jailed, reported spectral attacks of her own, perhaps from fear that she too would be named a witch as the stepmother of the recently accused Abigail, or in a pro-counter attack against one of the accusers. Deliverance claimed the specters of Mercy Lewis and Goody Sarah Wilds came to her beneath the light of a full moon and nearly tore her to pieces. So now we have the tables turned on one of the afflicted. And one of the afflicted is accused. While Mary Warren's name had been accused earlier, it was done by circle of, it was done by the circle of afflicted girls to save themselves. This was the first this was the first to be uttered from someone outside the pack. In a spectral version of witchcraft ping pong, Abigail Williams returned the favor and said the specter of Deliverance Hobbs came to her with the, with the book to sign. I have signed the book and have, and have ease, Hobbs Specter said. Now do you sign and, and so shall you have ease? But it was not Goody Hobbs that Anne replied. Reportedly she scorned a new specter crying, Oh, dreadful, dreadful. Here is a minister come. What? Our minister's wishes too? Whence come you? And what is your name? For I will complain of you 
though you be a minister if you be a wizard. Abigail declared she had been tortured for refusing to sign the book he also placed before her. She finally spewed out the name so many had been waiting to hear ever since Tituba's declaration that a black man had shown her a book with nine other names. Triumphantly, Anne Putnam Jr. declared the new specter was none other than that of George Burroughs, the swarthy complexioned former minister who had abandoned them for Casco Bay after being sued by the Putnams for punitive damages. Mercy Lewis, the Putnam's maid, had spent time with Burroughs and Casco during the Indian attacks before coming to Salem Village. And now, here was young Ann Putnam naming him, and not just naming him, but building his coffin with her accusations. According to Ann, Burroughs' specter bragged that he had killed his first two wives. He claimed to have also killed the Odette Lawson's wife and child to punish the man for deserting the village ministry in favor of excursions with Andros, thus fulfilling Tatuba's earlier announcement that witchcraft had killed Lawson's wife and child. Burroughs then said the unthinkable. Anne claimed he boasted that it was he, not the devil, who lured Abigail Hobbs to his fold. He was far more than just a witch. He was a conjurer. That same night around midnight, Mercy Lewis claimed the specter of old George Jacobs Sr. appeared as an old, very gray-headed man. Jacobs was a farmer from the Northfield section of Salem. She said Jacobs threatened to beat her if she did not sign his book. He also bragged of killing his first wife years before. On April 21st, 1690-62, warrants were drawn up for no fewer than nine people accused of witchcraft. Thanks to the reports of Abigail Williams, Ann Putnam, Jr., Mary Walcott, and Mary Lewis, the magistrates issued orders to bring in William and Deliverance Hobbs. Nima Abbott, Jr., Mary Etsy's sister of Rebecca Nurse and Sarah Cloyce, and Sarah Wiles, all from Topsfield. Warrants were also drawn up against Edward and Sarah Bishop and Mary Black, who was Nathaniel Putnam's slave, of Salem Village. Salem Town's accused was Mary English, wife of a wealthy merchant, Philip English. George Burroughs' name was not yet on the list, something Thomas Putnam Jr. would soon rectify. Marshal George Herrick hitched up his horse and his trousers and rode off to conduct what was becoming his routine business. By 10 o'clock the following morning, eight of the nine accused had been rounded up and delivered to Ingersoll's ordinary. The wealthy, Mary English, was missing. Chapter 18, the inquest continue. By April 23, 1692, when the latest group of witches were arrested, the original two were still languishing in Boston prison. Tituba, Sarah Osborne, and Sarah Good had been held prisoner since March 1st in Salem jail. And now in Boston, for almost two months, they had awaited their fate with growing fear as the days went by. Rumors of more witches being charged were surfacing daily. Sarah Good may have muttered at having little Dorcas once more care to care for. The poor child was given a few comforts. Whatever sibling had been born to her mother while in jail had died. It was a hideous reality for one so young. The other accused witches awaited their fate in Salem jail. Shackles were bolted to the walls and floor and were used to hold prisoners, especially those whose shapes had been accused of sailing about the households of innocent villagers. Abigail Hobbs and Mary Warren were repeatedly questioned while in jail. Mary told many stories considering, or concerning the proctors, insisting they had presented her with the devil's book to sign. Reverend Nicholas Noyes showed her a Bible 
of many names scribbled in, on the front page. Family genealogy was often noted in family Bibles. He asked if this might have been the book she saw, or one like it. She said it was not a Bible. She saw Mary, she, that she saw. Mary said the proctors had come to her with a strange book while she was buttering bread. They held out the open book and told her to read a verse from it. She remembered seeing the name Moses. When she touched the book to bring it closer and see the rest of the text, a black mark appeared between her finger, beneath her finger. It wasn't red like blood. It wasn't red like blood, she told Reverend Noise. It was black. She was sure because when she picked up her buttered bread, the black mark on her finger left a black smear on her toast. She went on to say the proctors threatened her with drowning, burning her, and forcing hot tongs down her throat. She accused Elizabeth Proctor of owning a good many books and carrying a small one in her pocket when she called on her sister in reading. Mary swore she did, she did not sign the devil's book. The proctors had deceived her and only her fingertip had touched it, leaving a black mark. She vowed she had never given the devil permission to use her specter and hurt others, and that she had never stuck pins in a poppet, for now should remain in Salem jail. If Abigail Williams was feeling any remorse for the plight of her friend, Mary Warren, it was not obvious. Without a sniffle or regret, she plunged ahead on her mission to lynch the villagers that she felt deserving of death. At the same time Mary Warren was being questioned in jail, Abigail was once again parked outside Ingersoll's Ordinary, where she continually found a willing group of people to perform before. This day was no different. The chosen spectator was Benjamin Hutchinson, who had arrived at his foster father's tavern sometime between 11 o'clock and noon. Abigail marched up to him and announced that their former minister, George Burroughs, had bragged to her about several murders. As Hutchison listened in shock, the 11-year-old told of Burroughs admitting to killing his first two wives and the wife of Reverend Lawson. To underscore Burroughs' involvement with the devil, she related how he bragged of his superhuman strength. Others had mentioned how strong the man was, especially as he was shorter than the average male at that time. He was swarthy in complexion, almost dark-skinned. Tatuba had spoken of a black man. The difference is, she had said the man she saw was tall, and from Boston. Before Benjamin could recover from the girl's startling declarations, Abigail suddenly shouted, the little black minister was watching them right now on the road, just where the cartwheel went along. Her panic arose, aroused the man, who the man who grabbed up a three-grained iron fork and threw it at the location to which Abigail pointed. The girl fell into a little fit and screamed, you have torn his coat, for I heard a terror. Whereabouts, Hutchison asked her. On one side, she replied, Benjamin, shaken and perhaps in need of a drink, entered the tavern with Abigail directly behind him. She was nowhere near done. There he stands, yelled Abigail, indicating a spot where the, where the specter of Burroughs supposedly stood. Hutchinson drew his rapier, but before he swung at it, the specter disappeared. There is a great cat, Abigail screamed. Hutchinson, feeling as though he had entered a haunted house, stabbed at the place the girl was pointing. You killed her, she said breathlessly, and dropped into a convulsion. Sarah Good carried her away, she said of the dead cat, once she had regained control of herself. 
Abigail was only four years old when Reverend George Burroughs left Salem Village for Casco Bay in 1683. Mercy Lewis, the Putnam maid, however, had known him well. Burroughs had been slandered within the Putnam household during the time Burroughs was being sued by the Putnams for money he owed them. Just let me keep track and see where our time is at, guys. Oh, I can't see. Hang on. Okay. All right. That was my chair. Don't get any ideas. Okay, guys, I'm going to wrap up right there. Um, thanks. <laughs> As you can see, it's very hard to read and sort through the Old English, but I thank Re Rebecca Pittman for giving me permission to read her book and the uh, publishing company because it's a very interesting book to you know look into the Salem Witch Trials. But I apologize for the mistakes. This book is, 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 is a difficult read. It's one of the most difficult books I've ever read. Anyway, tomorrow, Nancy Matz and I will be here talking about haunted objects. That's a little easier subject. Uh, but uh, I want to thank you all for coming tonight, and I really appreciate it. If you like what you hear, please hit that like button. If you want to uh, follow, please do that. If you want to subscribe over YouTube, please do that. I really appreciate it. And hit that like button over there. So I'm going to call it tonight. And uh, excuse me. Again, thanks to Rebecca Pittman and the publishing company for letting me read the book. Uh, sorry I botched it tonight. <laughs> it just got really confusing. Really confusing. But uh, it, it does make sense in what was going on in Salem and the hysteria that, that was going around and, you know, and this, that, and the other thing. So, all right. So I'll see you guys tomorrow. Have a nice night.